Well, Revelation chapter 1, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 uh, this evening. So we'll be going off of our weekend text. We studied chapter 1 uh, this weekend, and then just looking at two verses in depth tonight. And that'll be our pattern, uh, Lord willing, through the book of uh, Revelation. So as we pray, let's welcome the Holy Spirit. I'm sure all of us have had a busy day, and our minds are going a lot of different places. And to be still and uh, allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. So. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to, to gather midweek. We quiet our hearts and quiet our minds, our souls, and be still before you. Father, as we sang tonight, you're on the throne. You reign. And we look to you, we trust you. Lord, our hearts go out to those in Afghanistan that are now under the Taliban and and Christians being martyred and persecuted. We ask for your intervention. We ask that you would cause many people to come to know you, where, where the enemy is wanting to bring evil, that you would bring good. As we look at how you bring revelation and isolation this evening, Lord, may we be reminded that you're working in difficulty, you're, you're working in chaos. So we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So read with me verse 9 through verse 11. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Isolation is difficult uh, to deal with, yet there's times in our lives where God brings us into isolation. We see John, the apostle, he's put on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea because of the word of God, because of persecution. He's a prisoner, but the enemy doesn't have the final word there. In that place of isolation, in that place of difficulty, God speaks to him and gives him the revelation of Christ in a greater way. As we've talked about, John's walked with the Lord for years now, but yet he's seen Jesus in a greater way. And God's going to use isolation in our lives to show us Jesus if we're willing and if we're available to it. We look at something as a tremendous hardship, but God sees it as a potential blessing. So that's going to be our focus this evening of isolation brings revelation, revelation in isolation. I read of a man in the 1700s, 1704, and he was actually shipwrecked in Chile. 
there was a conflict between him and some of the other shipmates, and it's unclear if he went to the island for refuge or was kicked off of the boat, a young man by the last name of Selkirk. He was a Scottish man, lived for five years on this island by himself. Seems a lot like a castaway story. He learned how to fish. He had animals as pets that he would ultimately eat. But then he saw a ship after five years. It was a British ship, and he made a smoke fire and was able to get their attention, and he was rescued. And it seemed like this was a a terrible thing. Who would want to be isolated on this island for five years? But after he was rescued, he found out later that the ship that he was on actually ended up being attacked and sunk, and all of the men died except the captain. He would have been killed if he wouldn't have been exiled to this island. And that's oftentimes how I experience difficulty in my life, isolation in my life. At the moment, it seems terrible. At the moment, it seems difficult. But at this hindsight, I go, wow, I experienced Jesus in a greater way. So let's look at verse 9 a little more closely. I, John, I, John. The background of John is that he was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Him and his brother, James and John, also with Peter, they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew, two sets of of brothers. In Mark's gospel, when he was called to be a disciple of Christ, it tells us that John was mending his nets. This would foreshadow the ministry of John because he was mending people's hearts through the rest of his ministry. He really had an emphasis of God's love. We see that in the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But do you know what his nickname was? His nickname was the Sons of Thunder, him and his brother James. Because as Jesus was traveling through a Samaritan village, they rejected Christ. James and John go, we've got a suggestion. God, would you want us to call down fire just to roast these guys? Is it time to light these guys up like s'mores? They were ready to call down the judgment of God. It it doesn't seem like the same John, but this was the transforming work of God in John's life that God would make him so loving. In the fourth century, an early church father named Jerome tells a story of John the Apostle in his old age, believed to lived to an elderly age where he would be brought in to teach on the Lord's day. And he had one simple message, one sentence. He would say, let us love one another. Little children, let us love one another. And this happened week after week to finally they got a little bit frustrated and said, don't you have more to to teach us? And John replied, it's the Lord's command. And if this is done, it's enough. So he emphasized the love of God. Now, we don't know if that's exactly what took place or not, but it does seem to line up with the epistles of John and and the gospel of John. So this apostle, this disciple of John, your brother and companion in tribulation and tribute, your, sorry, excuse me, let me get a redo. Both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He puts the focus on Jesus. By being a brother and companion in tribulation, he's not elevating himself, but he's elevating the Lord. Hey, I'm your brother. We're all family, and we're companions together in the kingdom, and we're traveling together 
in the midst of difficulty in the endurance of Jesus Christ. As Christ looked forward to the joy that was set before him, John's looking forward to the joy that was set before him. Was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In 2005, I had the opportunity to go to Patmos, and it's a small island. You'd think it's fairly good size. It's, it's not very big at all. And we do know from history that this was a place where prisoners would be exiled. Again, from church history, Tertullian records for us that John was actually boiled in hot oil, then was taken to the island of Patmos, that God supernaturally saved his life. Now, again, we don't know if that's, that's the case, but that was re- recorded in, in church history. But no doubt, it's clear why he's here. He's here because of the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The reason that he was put to this place of isolation was because he was faithful to the name of Jesus Christ. He's being persecuted because of the word of God. He's being persecuted because of the testimony of Christ. I think our hearts and minds have been captivated by what's taking place in Afghanistan, and we're starting to hear reports of how Christians are, are being treated as the Taliban rises back in, into power. And isn't that humbling that believers are, are losing their lives because of their commitment to Christ, being persecuted because of their commitment to Christ? But what the enemy meant for evil in John's life, God used for good. I bet the enemy's going, hey, we've got the victory here. John the apostle is on the island of Patmos in isolation, and God's like, nope, I've got the final word. While he's on the island of Patmos, I'm going to give him this vision of Christ and this vision of end-time events. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard him behind me with a loud voice as a trumpet. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The emphasis of the Spirit being able to take us into deeper revelation of Christ. This is what the loud voice said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. We, we studied that over the weekend, if you happen to miss that teaching. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. God gives this vision in this place of isolation. And he says, I want you to write it down and I want you to send it to the churches. As we talk about understanding Jesus in a greater way and having revelation of of him, isn't that really what life is all about? You could be in a great circumstance in your life. Everything's going your way. You've got the job. You've got financial resources. Relationships are going well. Your health is going well. But if you don't have the revelation of Jesus Christ, this ongoing, deeper understanding of Jesus, you're going to be empty. But on the other side of it, you could be in a tough situation like John, be isolated, be in difficulty, but you're understanding and experiencing Jesus in a greater way, and you go, oh, this is so rich. I'm getting to know Christ in a greater way. But we need to be reminded, when we're learning more about Jesus, the purpose is for us to share. Share it. John was to share it with the seven churches. We're being blessed because John shared the revelation of Christ, and others are going to be blessed in your life because you share Jesus. I think this is a tremendous opportunity for us right now to be sharing Jesus, 
People are afraid. People are concerned. They're wondering what's the meaning of life. They're evaluating how effective is government. Everything is under the microscope and questions are being asked. And this is the opportunity to point people to Jesus, the lover of their souls, the King of Kings. So let's delve into this truth that revelation comes in isolation. If you're taking notes tonight, write these three things down. Is number one, is distractions are removed. When there's isolation in our lives, distractions are removed. What keeps us from really understanding Jesus in a greater way is oftentimes we're, we're distracted. Oh, oh, wait a second. Hang on here. I, I got a text. If you guys are just, this is really important. Uh, my kids are going back to school and there's, some, there's a text here about some textbooks and so the average American only goes five minutes and 30 seconds without looking at their phone. Five minutes and 30 seconds without looking at their phone. I dare you, if you get a text, which you will during this message, don't check it. And just see what it does to you. What if it's an emergency? You know, like what if someone's died? Like I've, I've got to check this, this text. So 262 times on average every day, we're checking our phones. We wake up to our phones all day with our phones, go to bed with our phones. A lot of people experience anxiety if they happen to leave their phone at home. We're distracted. Jesus gives us this parable of the sower where he says, you go out and sow the word of God on different types of soil. And the different types of soil is our hearts. And some of the soil is thorny. And the seed falls upon that thorny soil. So the plant grows up, but it's choked out by the thorns. And then Jesus tells us the thorns are the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. We're distracted. We're, we're distracted with the cares of this life. The bills, the groceries, the laundry, the car needs to be fixed. The list just goes on and on and on. And before you know it, a whole entire day or week or month or year has gone by and we haven't thought about the Lord. We haven't taken God up on his promise. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And there's no deeper revelation of Jesus. So sometimes God slows down our life for us and he brings us to our own Patmos. In Psalms 23, the famous psalm, God says that he makes us lie down in green pastures. That means that we're not wise enough on our own to slow down and go, this is a good place of provision for me to chill out and have my soul restored by my shepherd. So God has to make us. He's got to remove those distractions in our lives. But we're also distracted with the deceitfulness of riches. We trade in time for more money. You know, I want more money, so I'm going to give more, more time. Thinking that money's going to satisfy, but money gives false advertisement. Money can't satisfy. It's the deceitfulness of riches. So in isolation, if we're willing, there can be revelation of, of Jesus Christ because those distractions are minimized in our lives. Psalms 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God, and I'll be exalted among the nations. 
in order to be able to have the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have to be still. John had the opportunity to be still and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. I think it was one of the blessings of COVID and quarantine of 2020 is our, our lives slowed down. And for many of us, we experienced the Lord in a greater way. We had a revelation of Jesus Christ as we slowed down. So if God's taking you to a, a place of isolation, if God is slowing down your life like he did for John the disciple, is realize, man, God could be removing distractions. Yes, this is painful. Yes, this is difficult. But there's no other way that I would slow down. And God is speaking to me through this. Is it a guarantee that difficulty and isolation is going to lead to a greater revelation of Jesus? No. For some, difficulty and isolation leads to bitterness. We see that with Naomi in the Old Testament. She loses her husband, she loses her sons, and she's bitter. Yeah, she's isolated, but she's bitter. And thankfully, God in his grace continued to pursue her even in her bitterness. So there's got to be an openness in our lives to say, God, you're using this difficulty in my life. You're using this isolation in my life. Maybe it's the, the breakup of a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that you were very committed to and your spouse walked out on you and you're in a divorce that you never wanted and you're living in isolation and, and God's saying, I want to speak to you. Maybe finances have, have brought about isolation in your life. Okay, Lord, I can get bitter or I can slow down and realize that you want to speak to me. You have brought me to this Patmos for a reason. Maybe it's a challenge with your health and that's brought you to a place of, of isolation. Can get angry or we can go, okay, Lord, I'm going to be still and know that you're God. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything really more difficult that God could ask us to do in the scriptures to be still. Be still, chill out. Rest, quit being so distracted. But then the result of being still is we know he's God. We know he's got it. We know he rules and reigns over the nations. We have that deeper revelation of Christ, that, that epinosis, that knowledge of, of Jesus. So point number two, in isolation, the heart is softened. The heart is softened. If we're willing and we allow God to do that work, our heart becomes soft. Have you noticed over time that our hearts can get hard? Our hearts can get calloused? It's similar to, to your hands. You know, if you're working out in the yard, you're working out in the gym, you're going to get calluses. You're playing the guitar, you're, you're going to get calluses. And as we live life, we get calloused through our own sin and the sin, sin of others. And before you know it, we're God's people with heart that's fallow ground, where God can't really implant that revelation of Jesus in us the way that he would desire and he needs to break up that fallow ground and cause our hearts to be soft once again. There's two verses I want to read to you. The first is Jeremiah 4, verse 3. It says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. God calls to his people. This is to Judah. This is to his children. He says, I want you to break up the fallow ground. And he's speaking of their hearts. 
and no longer sow among the thorns. Have we wondered sometimes, how come the word of God is not having impact on my heart? Is there something wrong with the word or is there something wrong with my heart? There's probably something wrong with my heart. How come these are things that I used to care about that I should care about, but I don't care about them any longer. And if we're honest, we go, my heart has gotten foul. My, my heart has gotten r- rotten. And God in his love for us, not his judgment for us, he uses pain. Pain is God's rototiller to soften our hearts. It's his rototiller to break up that fallow ground. In Hosea 10 verse 12, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. I don't know how, but God in his economy uses pain to get our attention. <laughs> he uses pain to soften our hearts. And in those moments, we become pliable to the things of God where that fallow ground gets broken up. And we can start to hear God's voice and have a greater revelation of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I look back over my life and my journey with the Lord, the deeper understanding of Jesus has always come with pain. There's pain, there's, there's difficulty, and that's really taken me into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. I would love it if those deeper revelations of Jesus happened while on vacation at Disney World. Not that I've been on vacation in Disney World, but when you're in those moments of, man, everything is great, and there's that gratitude unto the Lord, but that really deep understanding of the Lord, that real deep heart change, that fallow ground being broken up. So is there some pain in your life that you've been trying to get away from? Some difficulty that you keep rubbing up against? Some isolation? And could it be that God's wanting to use that pain to break up the foul ground, to soften the hearts? Uh, years ago, when I was youth pastoring here, Amber and I bought our first house, and it was downtown area in an uh, area called Knob Hill, if you're, you're familiar uh, with it, close to, to Otis Park. And this house had been a rental for seven years and had really been abused, and thus it was in our price range. And no joke, the weeds in the backyard were like my waist high. That's impressive. We wanted to have a garden, and the only way that we could have a garden was first to get all those weeds out. And it took a whole summer of just getting the weeds out, getting the fallow ground, breaking it up. And one of the great things about being a youth pastor is you get great cheap labor. And those... Those high school boys will do a lot of work for pizza. So it's, okay, guys, we're having a, a work day at my house. I'll feed you pizza. And inevitably, four or five of those suckers would show up. And <laughs> we're just pulling weeds and pulling weeds. And, and we borrowed a rototiller from somebody. And we got a picture of Amber with Hannah, our oldest, was an infant on her back in a backpack. And Amber's running the rototiller, you know. I think the rototiller was bigger than amber, uh, you know, but just work in that ground. And we planted seed the spring after that and had a beautiful garden, but God had, we had to go through that work of breaking up the fallow ground. And the Lord does that because he loves us, and he'll use isolation and pain in that process to soften our hearts. 
So point number three with isolation bringing revelation is, is in isolation, desperation is increased in a good way. Desperation is increased. There's many times in Scripture where God warns us when we're in a season of blessing. There's actually more in Scripture of people not navigating blessing well than navigating difficulty well. And it's tricky to navigate difficulty, but in blessing, we can forget the Lord. We can forget the one who gave us the blessings. And this is the case of King Uzziah. He was a great king of Judah. And he sought the Lord, and God blessed him. And this is Second Chronicles 26, verse 15. It says, And he made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So when he was weak, he relied upon the Lord. But then when he became strong, he stopped relying upon the Lord. But when he, he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So his heart got lifted up in pride. And in blessing, our heart can be lifted up with pride. So difficulty, isolation, it brings us to a place of humility where desperation is increased. In Mark chapter 10, we see a man who is living in isolation, is blind Bartimaeus, blind Bart. And to be blind is to be isolated, never to know what the color green looks like, never to be able to see your mom's face. If you're, you're married, to, to behold your spouse, to see them. Do your best to be able to, to hear what others are saying. Blind Bart, his home was Jericho. And he got word that Jesus was coming through his town. He was a beggar. There was no way for him to provide for himself at, at the time. No disability insurance. He just had to beg every day for his basic needs to be met. And in that isolation, he had a desperation for Jesus. And he begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Interesting that he would use son of David. It's the first time son of David is used in the gospel of Mark. And, and he realized that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the promised one of David, that from David's descendants that they would reign forever. You're the Messiah. You have the power to be able to, to heal me. And what does he say? He says, have mercy on me. Not I've earned this, not I've deserved this, and when it comes to the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, when we're isolated and when we're in difficulty, it seems to make us hungry and ripe for God's mercy. God, I need your mercy. Son of David, ha have mercy on me. I would imagine if, if you're in your own Patmos tonight, you're going, Son of David, have mercy upon me. God, I can't do this any longer. I'm out of strength. I'm out of answers. God, I need you to show up. Lord, would you work in the midst of, of this situation? Well, people try to silence 
Bartimaeus. Hey, would you be quiet? You're kind of making a scene here. I don't know if Jesus is really interested. And the scripture tells us he just begins to cry all the louder. Son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stops and heals blind Bart and allows him to be able to see. But that desperation was increased in Barnabas's life. I wonder how many other blind people there were in Jericho that didn't seek the Lord in their desperation. You're going to go somewhere in your desperation. You're going to go to your job. You're going to go to fitness. You're going to go to sinful things, drugs, alcohol, sexual sin. You're going to go somewhere. But go to Jesus. So has Patmos caused you to be desperate to cry out for God's mercy? And as you cry out to God's mercy, then he gives greater revelation of Jesus. Did you know that so many in Scripture, in isolation, receive greater revelation of who God is. Let's consider a few for a moment. Moses is in the wilderness taking care of the sheep. The burning bush takes place. It's what is quoted here, the great I am statement. I am. God calls him to go back to Pharaoh Moses wants to know the name of God, and God says, I am that I am. Well, where did that happen? In the wilderness. Moses was isolated. He was isolated because of his own failure, killing an Egyptian, but God met him in that place. It was a place of isolation. We think of Job and losing his children, losing his health. He has his friends, and he's isolated even amongst his friends. You've ever felt that way? His friends are giving him terrible advice. In this Patmos that he's going through, this difficulty that he's going through, ultimately God comes and answers his question and he gets this amazing revelation of who God is. If you haven't read the end of Job ever or recently, go read it. It's an amazing declaration of of who God is. Hey, where were you when I created the stars? Where were you when... And all of a sudden, Job is is humbled before the Lord. David, when he's fleeing Saul, he's isolated in the wilderness. And he comes to know that God is his refuge, that God's his strong tower and his rock, and he doesn't have to be in a place of fear. We love the Psalms, but we forget that those Psalms came about in isolation. We want that kind of understanding of God, that God, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're my strong tower. Well, God may put a Saul in your life. God may take you to the wilderness where you go, I don't have anything else. And Lord, I'm coming to you to be my refuge. Paul, when he got saved, you would think that It would just be immediate explosion of ministry with his background and his knowledge of the scriptures. But Galatians chapter 1 tells us that he went to the Arabian wilderness and stayed there and didn't go to Jerusalem to be with the other apostles for three years. He's just hanging out in isolation. Why? Because God's revealing himself to him in a greater way. It could be three years of isolation. God's slowing things down. He's making you be in green pastures so he can reveal himself to you in a greater way. We're going to end with this. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll see one more who experienced the revelation of God. 
in isolation. 1 Kings 19. Elijah the prophet, it's, it's an amazing scene. He confronts the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, saying, why don't you guys cry out to your God, build an altar. I'll build an altar to the one true God. Whatever God is true will answer with fire. So the prophets of Baal are out there cutting themselves, and Elijah's going, what's the problem? Does your God not hear? Is he, is he busy using the restroom? just talking trash to the prophets of Baal. Baal, of course, doesn't answer. God answers, lights up Elijah's altar. Elijah kills the the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel comes on the scene, and Jezebel's got a word for Elijah that says, I'm going to kill you. Elijah is flesh and bones just like us, and he gets fearful, and he takes off. And he runs in fear out into the wilderness. He says it's enough. He wants the Lord to take his life. God supernaturally sustains him through a cake that is baked for him. And we pick up on this in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore in the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. That's pretty cool. The Lord passed by. There's strong wind. There's earthquake. Powerful. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. So these amazing experiences God's not in. And after an earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah's in isolation. And he's in isolation because of his own fear. Because of his own shortcomings. Which is many times why we're in isolation. And God does this huge production for him. And that's not how God chose to speak to him. Not through an earthquake. A lot of times we go, Lord, if there was just some supernatural event, I know you're really speaking to me. But after the earthquake and after the wind, all there was was this still, small voice. Many times in isolation, in difficulty, when you're on your own Patmos and you come to the end of yourself and there's nowhere to go, your phone's broken, you can't be distracted, there's no family to rely upon, It's just you and God. It's you and Jesus. No more emotional experience. And there's a still small voice. And God starts speaking to you. It's the voice of your father. It's the voice of your shepherd. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Elijah's not cooperating. He takes his sweatshirt, puts it over his ears, and he's like, I don't want to hear what this still small voice has to say. It's like when toddlers are doing this to you, and then when they're really upset, they do this. That's what Elijah was doing. God, I'm not listening. And if we're honest, sometimes when we're in isolation, 
especially because of our own failure or overwhelmed with difficulty and starting to doubt, we really don't want to hear what that still small voice has to say. We don't want to hear what the the Father's going to speak and we put our sweatshirt over our ears. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone left and they seek to take my life. Elijah felt like he was getting a bad deal from God. God, I've served you. I've served you so well. I've done all of these things. I've sacrificed. And this is what I have for it, a death sentence from Jezebel. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. And also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, which would be the predecessor of Elijah, the son of Shaphat, over Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So here, Elijah's feeling like he's all alone, but God says, I've got a plan moving forward. I've got leaders for you to anoint, leaders of Israel, leaders of Judah, another prophet that's going to come up but behind you. And in fact, there's 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. John, as he's in Patmos, suffering, I can't imagine the kind of suffering that he's going through as a prisoner, the kind of condition that he's living under. The labor, the manual labor that you have to do, and all of a sudden he gets this vision of Jesus, seeing the glorified risen Savior in a greater way. In isolation, if we listen for that still small voice, if we allow God to speak it to us from the word, there's a perspective that God will show us that we didn't have prior. That's what God did for John. That's what God did for Elijah. And that's what God will do for us as well. I had my own little mini Patmos about a year and nine months ago, year and six, six months ago. It was April 17th, 2020. Many of you know I went through a pretty serious health challenge and found myself in the hospital. And when Amber dropped me off at the hospital, no visitors could go in because of COVID. COVID was at its peak. So we went to Memorial North. Our family doctor called me and said, Eric, this is a life and death emergency. You need to get to the hospital as quick as possible. So I packed my backpack, and I just had this sense that I'd probably be there for a while. So I, like, overpacked. And, and I was, was like, I, I can't be here without reading material. So I patched, packed a bunch of books in, in my backpack, and I walked into the hospital with just way too much stuff. Um, but I ended up spending, like, two nights and three days in the hospital, and it was a unique time because I couldn't have any visitors. Amber couldn't come and sit with me in the hospital. My kids couldn't come and sit with me in, in the hospital. My brother lives in Castle Pines. He couldn't come 
my parents in Highlands Ranch, they couldn't come. My great friends here at, at the church and the pastoral staff, they couldn't come. And that's what, what God had for me. And got the diagnosis that I would have a medical condition that I would wrestle with until I'd go home to be with the Lord. And just processing this in the hospital and, and grieving there in the hospital and trying to make sense of, of it all. And in the midst of that time, there's a still small voice. I remember the first night just laying in the, in the hospital bed and scripture after scripture after scripture coming into my heart and into my mind. And I'd like to tell you it's because I'm such a great memorizer of the Bible. But that's not what was happening that night in the hospital. It was the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was reminding me of promises of God, reminding me of who the Father is, and anchoring my soul in the character and nature of my Father and holding me close. And there'd be fear and there'd be a worry and there'd be an anxiety and then there'd, there'd be a, a promise right from God's word. Uh, God was directing me into his word through the Holy Spirit. And just boom, this was, this was happening for hours for me as I was laying in bed. And for the months to come, it was pretty painful. And now it's a, it's a lot easier and life is normalized. But those first six months, I was kind of walking through my, my own Patmos. I remember sharing with Amber uh, during that time that I felt myself closing into myself. I really enjoy people, and I really enjoy conversation, and I love being around people, but I didn't during that time. I didn't necessarily want to talk to people. I didn't want to be around people. I was just, I, I was closing in on myself. But in the midst of that isolation, God was gracious to reveal himself to me. Now, I'll be honest, I, I would gladly not have the health condition that I do have, but I'm thankful, I'm extremely thankful, and God's really helped me to be able to, to live with it and manage it. But I, I wouldn't trade in how God has revealed himself to me through that difficulty and continues to through, through that difficulty. The understanding of God went deeper in my life. The, the word knowledge in the Greek is epinosis, and Paul prays for, for epinosis of the knowledge of Jesus for, for the church of Ephesus. And I wish that I could tell you tonight that the epinosis of Jesus could come into your, to your life without difficulty, and sometimes it does, but most of the time, epinosis of Jesus comes through Patmos. It comes through isolation. And I know there's a lot of fear and concern about the times that we're living in and the times that may be ahead for us as, as believers, but understand that God uses difficulty. He uses Patmos. John is at Patmos because of persecution. And if there's persecution ahead for us, Jesus is going to be faithful. And it may not be persecution. It may be some other kind of, of difficulty. God is going to be faithful. So whether it's tonight or it's in the future, and you find yourself in residency on Patmos, slow down, be still, know that he's God, and listen to the voice of the Spirit for the voice of the Spirit to take you deeper into the character and nature of, of Jesus. That still, small voice 
where the Father's speaking His love over you. The Spirit of God is speaking the Word of God into you. So through isolation really does come revelation. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, you're so much bigger and greater than we are. And we don't understand sometimes why you allow difficulty in our lives and how you can use difficulty in our lives. But we know that you do. It's no fun to be isolated. It's no fun to be all alone. But yet we know we're never alone because you're with us. For those that are in a Patmos, they're, they're in a difficulty, they're, there's a relationship that's bringing isolation. There's health that's bringing isolation. There's finances that are bringing isolation. COVID's altered their lives in a way where it's brought isolation. Lord, would you comfort them? Even tonight as we enter into communion and we enjoy communion, would you be gracious, Father, to speak to us through your still, small voice? Holy Spirit, would, would you speak your word afresh into our lives? Promises of God, promises of your character, and promises of your nature. And just like John, Jesus, we want to see you in a greater way. We want to know you as the Ancient of Days. We want to know you as the King of Kings that reigns over all. We want to know you as our, as our loving Savior. And then help us to take that revelation of Jesus and go share it. May we just be so excited about you, Jesus, that we want to go and share. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.